Welcome to MuggleCast, your weekly ride into the Wizarding World fandom. I'm Andrew. I'm Eric. I'm Micah. And I'm Laura. This week, be sure to not be seen by anyone, especially yourself. It's against the law. <laughs> We're discussing chapter 21 of Prisoner of Azkaban, the penultimate. I love that word. It's a good word. Chapter in Prisoner of Azkaban. Before we get to that, a couple of announcements. Don't forget, there is still time to pledge to our Patreon and join the MuggleCast Collectors Club. Last year, we introduced the MuggleCast Collectors Club, in which each year between now and 2026, we're sending five exclusive stickers that celebrate the show's past and present. We're also giving you the Collectors Club card on which you can place the stickers. It's a beautiful backing card showing MuggleCast listeners heading into Hogwarts. Good time of year to talk about that since we just celebrated Back to Hogwarts season. Choo-choo. Year two's stickers depict our old chicken soup for the MuggleCast soul segment, a classic iPod with MuggleCast playing on it, Hogwarts on Fire, which pays homage to our classic security nightmare um, correlations that we frequently draw on the show. We have a sticker that honors Jamie's old British joke of the week segment. Plus, we have tier-based exclusives, either a Dumbledore's Army or Slug Club sticker. And I have to say the Slug Club sticker is super cute because it has literal slugs clinking glasses as slugs are known to do in a club. <laughs> sure. Yes, that's <laughs> canon now. So you can pledge at the 5 or $10 level by September 22nd, and you have to fill out the form on Patreon to receive this year's stickers and the club card. This is just one of many benefits you receive, so do pledge now. And thanks to everybody who supports us. Speaking of support, maybe you can't support us financially. That's okay. We would love a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify because it helps introduce new listeners to the show. Here's a recent review we received from Anika on Apple Podcasts in Australia. It's a five-star review. They say, I first discovered Muggle... I can't do it in Australia. Oh, my God. Well, you did live in Australia or New Zealand I did, for I a did. little time. Yeah, yeah, so. yeah. I think I, think I got it. Um, I first discovered MuggleCast back in the long, long ago, before the Potter series was... I can't do it. I'm sorry. Before the Potter series was complete, and I was hungry for speculation, analysis, and community around my favorite series. I am now 31 and have rediscovered the show this year, and listening to each episode feels like coming home. Thanks for keeping the series going and for bringing new and insightful discussion to the table after all this time. It's really nice. Thank you so much. Oh, that's so sweet. Yeah. Hopefully you uh, don't give us a negative review now if you didn't like Eric's accent. But I, I <laughs> See, feel like it was, it was good enough. <laughs> <laughs> no, only one review is allowed. Oh, that's right. Oh, Thank that's goodness. true. Yeah, we're we're safe. I, d I do like hearing listeners who are coming back to the show after so yeah. much time. It is very cool to hear that people listened to us back in the day. And now that they're a little bit older, they're finding us again. And it feels like coming home. Yeah. And I think part of it for people is they just kind of assume we don't exist anymore, which would be understandable <laughs> when you've been around for so long. No way that years. podcast is still around. And thanks to everybody who leaves a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and anywhere else. But mainly Apple Podcasts and Spotify have a review function. That's why we focus on those two. But if your app has a review function, please do drop a review. We would appreciate it. And now it's time for Chapter by Chapter. This week, we're discussing Chapter 21 of Prisoner of Azkaban, Hermione's Secrets. And we'll start, as always, with our seven-word summary. Hermione 
saves Buckbeak with a time <laughs> quick don't let it run out Turner Turner <laughs> I was kind of hoping it was going to go towards like with a shiny thing or I don't know just... with a shiny thing <laughs> not me sitting here panicking in the moment thinking is time Turner one word or two <laughs> for the purposes of this seven word summary it's hyphenated it's hyphenated isn't it yeah because we're Americans we hyphenate these things right Yay. <laughs> mm-hmm. so it counts yeah, so this is the chapter where I noted both a lot and not a lot happen at the same time. And if we're to expand a little bit on the seven word summary, basically what happens in this chapter is Hermione reveals she has a time turner and she and Harry go back in time about three hours to quote unquote fix everything that happened in the last several chapters. And that's it. Uh, but well, thanks everybody for listening. I'm Andrew. <laughs> yeah, we should do like five minute mini mogul guests, like mini mini mogul guests. Yeah, mm-hmm. mini C by C's. That'd be funny. But the way I wanted to take a look at this chapter is kind of through two different lenses, right? The first is Snape and his behavior at the beginning of the chapter, and then the second is talking about something I think Laura will enjoy very much. The morality of time turning magic oh, yes. and how <laughs> it played a role in this book, but kind of disappeared afterwards and was not a convenient plot device until Cursed Child came along. So, first discussion I titled Somebody Called the Wambulance for Snivelous because <laughs> Snape. What is the Wambulance? It's like the ambulance, but for somebody who's just complaining. Yeah, a lot. it's when you're going, wah, right. Yeah. Oh my God. That's amazing. Snape is having a very productive therapy session with the minister, but he's uh, embellishing a little bit in what he is telling him. And I thought we could start out since we often give Dumbledore a hard time for all of the lies that he tells throughout the course of the Harry Potter series. Why not talk about the lies that another character the lies tells? And, and Snape actually throws out quite a few in just a very short period of time. He's telling Fudge that Blackhead bewitched them, talking about Harry, Ron, and Hermione. I saw it immediately, a confundus charm to judge by their behavior. We know that to not be true. And we would think, right, Snape is definitely smart enough to know when a confundus charm has been used. He's covering here. Is that fair to say? Yes. Uh, It would not be advisable for him to say that his temper got the better of him. And he was going to, you know, basically Snape went in there and all he did was escalate. And that's not going to be on his, you know, official report to fudge. The second lie, he says, is that they seem to think there was the possibility he, Sirius, was innocent. No, they 100% believed him to be innocent. The third lie, they weren't responsible for their actions. (laughs) No, they were definitely responsible for those actions. That's That's a point where he is letting one thing slide in order to completely bury them under. Like, oh, they... They didn't know what they were doing, but he like completely discredits everything that they all say. 
um, as a result of that. So he's getting something out of being able to say they weren't responsible. Yeah. And we could talk about this a little bit later on, but I think he's he's covering for the fact that he was bested by three 13-year-olds. There is that. He doesn't want to make it seem like Harry, Ron, and yeah. Hermione could have gotten the better of him. Of course, they how they were confunded. They, there's no right. way they could have known what they were doing, Minister. Right. right. And the way in which he says, as a matter of fact, it was the children. And Fudge is like, no, what? <laughs> you know, it's just like, oh, like Snape is, this is... If we've seen Snape's worst memory, this is Snape's best memory uh, with these children here. Like, well, uh, and the way that he's convinced. We got a lot of good episode title potential options already. Somebody called the Wambulance. What did Eric just say? Uh, Uh, Snape's best memory. memory. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. Fudge is like, oh, Order of Merlin, second class, first class, if I can wrangle this. Like, come on, dude. This is all a crock of bull. This next one is kind of debatable, but you could fit it into the lie category. He says, on the other hand, their interference might have permitted Black to escape. I think that was their intention. I mean, maybe not to escape. But certainly for the truth to come out. And that's literally what ends up happening. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, And the final lie, they obviously thought they were going to catch Black single-handed. I hate that. That stinks Mm. of... uh, That's not why they went after Black in the first place. It was because Ron was injured. So, like... Snape has already been through so much with the trio, Harry in particular. Let's even just set aside the whole Lily angle of it all. He keeps seeing Harry get away with things. He doesn't like the treatment that the preferential treatment he gets from Dumbledore. I can part of me can see why Snape is frustrated. However, I don't like all of the lying. And speaking of the preferential treatment, Fudge admits to Snape they've all got a blind spot when it comes to Harry. They give him a little more leniency because of his background. But I do wonder what specifically earns that leniency because in Snape's defense, and I still... He's Harry F. and Potter. Well, he got a, another episode title. If it weren't for Harry, uh, Voldemort would still be reigning and everyone would be subjugated and dead. But where is the line? Because he shouldn't be able to get away with attacking a teacher. Well, that's the... Yeah, that's the thing. Uh, well, he was confounded. <laughs> I mean, he's also basically the Messiah character of this book. So, of course, everybody's treating him like he's special until they decide that he's actually a traitor. But that's a couple well, books from now. Now that you mentioned that, like this definitely leads into that. This is the first time I think somebody has taken this tone with Fudge about Harry. Uh, like, eh, you know, Fudge doesn't know how to handle these accusations that Harry is given special treatment by Dumbledore, that plays into Fudge's own insecurities about Dumbledore. And this, so I, I really think that this conversation between Snape and Fudge really sets the scene, not just thematically, but directly leads into sort of Fudge's thought patterns and influences the way Fudge treats mm. Harry and Dumbledore in the later books. Could yeah, you say I think that? so. Fudge is someone who blows with the prevailing wind. Yeah. To be honest with you. So, yeah, I think this definitely sets the stage. What were you going to say, Micah? Could you say that Snape is taking umbrage with Harry's actions? Uh, <laughs> all throughout the. All right, another episode title Snape takes umbrage. All right. <laughs> People are going to be like, wait, what? <laughs> that, that could be a <laughs> fanfic, too. What book are you guys talking about? Yeah, I was about to say, I don't Jeez. know if we want to make that the title. <laughs> all right, welcome to Wednesday night. <laughs> yep. 
Uh, no, but uh, I think that's a really great point that gets raised, though, because of the threads that you can connect to Order of the Phoenix. We see Fudge here being very protective of Harry, but actually, once we get to Order of the Phoenix, it's very much the opposite of that. And, you know, let's be clear, I think Snape really has done well to gloss completely over his own culpability. I think on the one hand, he really did miss every mention of Peter Pettigrew. Um, By the time he got down to the Shrieking Shack, the children were saying that Sirius was innocent or that he needed to be heard out. uh, And Snape, due to his own bias, um, you know, wasn't hearing it. But he's kind of got to own that because Snape is actually calling for Sirius to be removed, (laughs) deprived of his soul. Uh, And so it doesn't matter sort of the ignorance. It's cool that Snape, like, particularly didn't hear that Peter was still alive at this point. But it doesn't matter so much because he's really calling for Black's death or worse than with no, like, real evidence and with a few people saying that's not what happened. Yeah, I, I agree. He's very much, as you say, glossing over his own responsibility in much of what has happened already this evening. Uh, but it doesn't stop there. It is officially time. If if that wasn't enough, now you can hear the wambulance <laughs> oh getting closer and closer wow. to the infirmary inside of Hogwarts. And Snape goes on to say that They've gotten away with a great deal before now. I'm afraid it's given them rather high opinions of themselves. And of course, Potter has always been allowed an extraordinary amount of license by the headmaster. And this is really one of the first times we see Dumbledore being called into question by one of the professors. I don't know that we've seen it happen prior to this. Certainly, there's other characters that have called in his ability to be headmaster uh, into question, but certainly not one of the professors. And Snape would not do this if he wasn't feeling 100% on top of the world right now, right? Because Dumbledore, Snape owes Dumbledore a whole heckin' lot for the life that he currently has. Um, Snape was a Death Eater. Snape would be in Azkaban at the cell right next to Sirius if they knew about, you know, sort of betraying the Potters and that kind of a thing. So in general, anything less than Snape's like best (laughs) time of his life right now, and Snape wouldn't be playing this card. But Snape is driving a wedge between Fudge and Dumbledore for his own personal gain, and that's the kind of guy he is. It's also interesting, too, thinking about the fact that we know Snape throughout the entire series is sworn to protect Harry. And I wonder how exactly he's doing that in this scene. I think by giving Fudge the narrative that they were confunded and they weren't responsible for their actions, he's preventing them from being expelled. I suppose Harry being expelled from Hogwarts is like basically putting a target on his back. It would only be a matter of time at that point. So maybe that's what he's angling for. But in doing all of this, he is again trying to shift the blame for the Potter's death onto the person who he believes to have betrayed them, even though he played a pretty big role in betraying them himself. (laughs) He just didn't know it. Yeah. Nobody hates Snape more than Snape himself. Right. Oh. Well, just while we're kind of on the topic of 
the Marauders. What do we think about him in this particular moment drawing on his feelings towards James and Sirius? Because I think he sees, as we've read in the books, a lot of James in Harry. And I think there's a lot of emotions that are coming up in this moment where he's seeing the opportunity to take out a lot of what he wanted to take out on James on Harry. Absolutely. This is top of mind. He even brings it up when Dumbledore enters. Uh, the event that happened so many years ago um, is still absolutely fresh, and he is seething. He wants revenge for what what has occurred. Snape is not one to forgive and forget. This man can hold a grudge. He also goes on to say that he tries to treat Harry like any other student, <laughs> which we know is just complete nonsense. This is a lie. This is Snape's. This is Snape's next lie. <laughs> Are we still counting those? <laughs> that might yeah. as well. This is, would be number yeah, six. Okay. So he's he's already closing in on Dumbledore, and this is only one chapter. <laughs> oh man, that's rough. Uh, see, and you thought Dumbledore is bad. Look how fast Snape lays them all down. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's funny. That's why he must be so good with Voldemort. That's right. Something that I will say in Dumbledore's defense here is, I don't think Dumbledore would say something like this. I don't think that he would claim to treat Harry like he treats any other student. I think Dumbledore absolutely knows and owns that he plays favorites with Harry and with Gryffindor. So it's kind of an interesting contrast between these two in their treatment of him. Definitely. And he goes on to say, out of bounds at night consorting with a werewolf and a murderer, and I have reason to believe he was visiting Hogsmeade illegally. And to that, I say, bro, you should have just stopped at consorting with a murderer. Yeah, you could throw in the werewolf, but by the time you get to Hogsmeade, it's just kind of like you're trying to throw a little bit more salt on the wound. Like It's like, oh, and he was going to Hogsmeade, you know, like, <laughs> yeah, come on. Yeah, who cares? Yeah. Hogsmeade is the least what of those offenses. What a great offense. Yeah, Fudge is going to be like, okay, the werewolf is one thing, but going to Hogsmeade illegally? Well, and I think that's to the point of just like, look how much he's scrambling. Like, he's at the bottom of the barrel here. Oh, he wants to dump everything out on the table. At one time, he looked at me funny in the hallway. Oh. One thing I did want to call attention to, though, is even Fudge is astonished by Snape's treatment of Hermione, and he flat out tells her to shut up uh, in this chapter when she's trying to explain what happened in the Shrieking Shack. And this goes to our point earlier that I think that Snape is just kind of butthurt that he got bested by three 13-year-olds. The other part of this scene that I thought was pretty cool was this mini Dumbledore-Snape standoff that we have and what it must have felt like for Snape to not be believed and furthermore to have Dumbledore send him to quiet time while he talks with <laughs> Harry and Hermione. Especially after like if you think back to the pact pact that they made um, and, and to lose it almost feels like you're losing the trust of Dumbledore after he, he supposedly trusts you and you trust each other and now for Dumbledore to treat you as kind of lesser than the trio. I mean, obviously, the other factor here is that the trio are right. Dumbledore does say later in this chapter that he does believe them. He just doesn't have evidence that can help them. So 
I can understand where where Snape's frustrations are coming from here, given their history. Well, let's not forget who the audience is here too. We have Fudge in front of everything that's going on, and presumably, you know, Snape has just really talked poorly about Dumbledore in front of Fudge. So, who knows what Dumbledore may or may not have overheard of that conversation? No, there's that too. Yeah, I mean, Dumbledore still has the ultimate authority here, and that's kind of very. It's similar to the other um, ends of other books where Dumbledore kind of shows up and saves the day. Um, and this is kind of the most we get of that in kind of setting in motion the events of, you know, telling Hermione to use the time turner, et cetera, et cetera. But yeah, not believing Snape is step one and or just shutting Snape down because Snape is going way too far. Dumbledore can clearly see that he's just, you know, at this point, really just motivated by his desire for revenge. And I think that may even help convince Dumbledore of Sirius's innocence and seeing how much Snape is like embellishing here. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. Oh, that's a great point. And and Snape's also being unfair when he reminds Dumbledore that Snape tried to kill him as a kid um, or Sirius tried to kill him as a kid. I mean, like people grow up. Really? Do you still really want to hang that over his head? Yeah. And, and there's reason to believe he's been going into Hogsmeade. <laughs> <laughs> right. It's and he like, looked at me funny. And, he, <laughs> and his breath smells. Oh, man. Snape is one of those adults who still lives in their high school days, yeah. I feel. Not letting go of grudges from things that happened 15, 20 years ago still spending so much time ruminating over people that he hasn't seen in ages. In this case, one person who's been dead for 13 years. Yeah. He won't let it go. Well, it doesn't help that he's still at Hogwarts, right? So he's having to read, I think a change of scenery, if Snape had been allowed to leave, you know, allowed to really branch out, see the world be somewhere else, but he can't because he owes Dumbledore everything. Yeah, how so, are you going to move on if you're still in the room where it happens, so yeah, to speak? Yeah. This is such a huge can of worms that we're opening up right here, though, I, too. Like, I know. Oh, my God. Because you do see that in life, to Eric's point. Like, people are just like, you know what? I need to get out of this place or else, you know, like, God forbid, you'll lose a loved one. People are like, I can't live in the same house as where we spend our lives together. Like, that, you can't move on if you're still in that same space. A lot of maybe people can. But a lot of people can't, and understandably so. And so that's a great point. Now I'm going to draw the comparison between Snape being stunted and Sirius being stunted by his many years in prison. Yeah, Neither of them can have had the opportunity to really emotionally process and move on from themselves as teenagers. Um, And the whole Sirius Black, you know, (laughs) pouncing Snape's head on the cave wall shows that Sirius uh, has absolutely not matured either. No, definitely not. Do we think Snape actually believes Harry, Hermione in the slightest, but he just wants to see Sirius suffer? Because that's ultimately what he wants, right? (laughs) It's possible. Yeah. I think he's so close. He feels so close to like justice and he wanted to be the one to catch him. And actually, I think that's a a line strictly like made for the movie is how I wanted to be the one to catch you. Yeah. Uh, You know, it's it's that's that's him. That's him. Mm -hmm. Mm hmm. Snape gets tunnel vision 
You know, when he decides that he has unearthed the truth of something, he falls into a lot of um, confirmation bias, right? He sees something that he feels confirms what he believes to be true. And then that to him is just further evidence. And to him, the evidence is, well, Sirius tried to kill me when I was at school. He was terrible to me. He bullied me. So he must be a murderer. He must have killed all those muggles. He must have been responsible for Lillian James dying. So he's seeing what he wants to see, which is funny because Harry does the same damn thing sometimes (laughs) when he decides that Snape is the perpetrator of something, when he decides that Draco is the perpetrator of something, Harry falls into the same trap. Mm -hmm. Snape is Harry's father confirmed. (laughs) (laughs) People are pointing out in the Discord that Snape does, you know, in the later books, really showcase his powers of um, mental, you know, mind reading, basically. You know, he's he's the guy who teaches Harry occlumency. He's an accomplished legilimens, not to mention nonverbal spells. Snape, the entire time he's arguing here could really be searching their minds to figure out if what he's saying is true or not, or, you know, if he had any interest at all. Um, But that's kind of using the later books to inform this scene. I don't even know if the unforgivable curses were invented yet at the time this book was written, because if you think about it, you know, saying Harry and Hermione were confunded. Yeah, that's one thing. But if they were imperious, then that would add to a list of Sirius's charges. So, because they're unforgivable curses. Ooh. So, like, that would be an even better lie. Why aren't you lying more, Snape? But maybe that didn't exist. You know, I, I, I think he's probably also trying to think on his feet a little bit here as well. But I will say, I, I do think that Snape is almost minimized in, in the situation with Dumbledore because the way that he says what he does about what happened when they were 16 years old is almost like a child trying to get an adult to believe in what it is that they're saying. So going back to what you were talking about earlier with being so stunted, emotionally not having matured, this really shines through in this moment between the two of them. Yeah. Um, as there's a saying I heard at one point that I find is relevant, which is uh, shouting demonstrates a complete loss of control. Once you're shouting, you've already lost. He does a bit of that. That's for sure. <laughs> Hold your tongue or whatever he says in all oh, caps. Goodness. Poor, Poor Hermione. Hermione. That puts a, a kink in what uh, Fudge thinks of Snape, too. Watching him treat uh, yeah. Hermione like that. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. Not a great look. Yeah. Not a great look. He does himself a disservice for magic. by going for the mm-hmm. gold or shooting for the moon. <laughs> He's going to get dropped down to that next tier of Order of Merlin. Yeah. <laughs> as a result. Order of Merlin pissant class. <laughs> <laughs> Another potential episode. There you go. Oh, my God. Them. Well, just to kind of wrap up this section, Dumbledore talks with Harry and Hermione. And this is when they're trying to... They don't really have to convince Dumbledore. Dumbledore believes them. But in terms of the ability to convince others of this story, he says, I have no power to make other men see truth or to overrule the minister for magic. To which I say, except there's this thing that's called veritaserum that you could use in this moment to get the truth out of (laughs) any number of people that are present. And uh, Eric, you also had a point as well another device that could be used 
Yeah, Pensive um, and Veritaserum. These are things that come into book four. I was just talking about this, how The Unforgivable Curses 2 may not have been written yet, but these are all... They could have their place in this interrogation. They could have their their place in this um, sort of execution or what fudge is. I mean, it could be standard practice to use a pensive uh, right. before. So you know, yeah, what and and the reason why this all comes to mind is we're just one book away from this actually playing itself out. Yeah. It's literally the same situation, but with a different character, mm. where they're given Veretta serum to spilled their beans, and then they get the Dementor's kiss as a result of it. So clearly the author went through with what she wanted to from this book in Goblet of Fire. These are invasive ways to get the truth out, though. I think these are things you should only be using in extreme circumstances. I guess you could argue there's an important reason to be doing uh, using one of these here, but it is extreme. Like, who exactly are we giving Veritas Serum to? I mean, it is life and death, serious. effectively, right? I, how much more serious can you get? So, yeah, I know. But he was just an Azkaban, and now you're going to force the truth out of him. Like, I guess he'd be up for it just to to make his point. But I don't know. It's still because then, like, you know, if you go down this rabbit hole, what if Snape's standing right there, too, and throws a question at him as well? Yeah. Like, it's very risky. I'm playing devil's advocate just for fun, but <laughs> well, to, you're doing a good job. I would say like Dumbledore sums it up by saying there's no evidence. I believe Sirius, and, but there's no evidence. And right. so it's like, what are you going to do? Right. And and Dumbledore actually does bring up a point right before this line of about um, I have no power to make other men see truth. Um, Dumbledore said that Sirius had not acted like an innocent man. Some of the cards are stacked against him. He attacked the fat lady and he entered Gryffindor Tower with a knife. Not a good luck when you're trying to make your case. I know he's been in uh, Azkaban, so I'm sure that's a factor. We've talked about that throughout the course of this chapter by chapter series thus far. Um, You know, that probably did a number on him. Uh, But still. One thing that also came to mind, too, when Dumbledore had that line is now that we've gotten a chance to at least get a peek inside to the world of Fantastic Beasts and meet Grindelwald it gave me very much Grindelwald vibes when he says, I have no power to make other men see truth. I'm wondering if he's oh. drawing on his past experiences here. Like, I regret mm-hmm. that I can't fix everything. That's an interesting reading. So the next discussion is on the morality of time-turning magic. Time-turners clearly play a huge role in this chapter and then disappear forever, minus the Hall of Prophecy in Order of the Phoenix. And I thought it could be fun just to read a little bit from wizardingworld.com about time turners. And I thought we could take turns. I'm happy to go first, get a nice short paragraph. According to Professor Saul Croker, who has spent his entire career in the Department of Mysteries studying time turning magic, this is what he has to say about time turners. As our investigations currently stand, the longest period that may be relived without the possibility of serious harm to the traveler or to time itself is around five hours. 
we have been able to encase single hour reversal charms, which are unstable and benefit from containment in small enchanted hourglasses that may be worn around a witch or wizard's neck and revolved according to the number of hours the user wishes to relive. All attempts to travel back further than a few hours have resulted in catastrophic harm to the witch or wizard involved. It was not realized for many years why time travelers over great distances never survived their journeys. All such experiments have been abandoned since 1899, when Eloise Mintumble became trapped for a period of five days in the year 1402. Now we understand that her body had aged five centuries in its return to the present and irreparably damaged. She died in St. Mungo's Hospital for magical maladies and injuries shortly after we managed to retrieve her. What is more, her five days in the distant past caused great disturbance to the life paths all those of all those she met, changing the course of their lives so dramatically that no fewer than 25 of their descendants vanished in the present, having been unborn. <laughs> Great. And it gets even worse from, from here. I, I couldn't, you know, it, this is a family show. So oh, to include what, what else was on WizardingWorld.com is right. just... Nobody uh, go to WizardingWorld.com. <laughs> but... Basically, what this all says is that time travel is extremely, extremely dangerous, and it can cause irreparable harm to present day and the future. Is that fair to say? Yeah. Yes. If used as directed, say the least. I'm not convinced that it can. So if you just go back five hours, right? You can't unborn some. You don't know about anyone that you unborn if you're only going back five hours. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I mean, can you account for every possible scenario in which someone within a certain radius of where you are is conceiving a child at that moment? And they'll go for another one. <laughs> <laughs> but that, it would be a different child. They don't know any different. They don't know because they're not from the future. This could be a whole other yeah, episode. Yeah. Okay, okay. We could okay. dive is time deep. travel moral. Um, yeah. Here, well, look at what it does. Look at how it's used in this book. Sirius Black is going to be wrongfully terminated. Buckbeak is going to be wrongfully terminated. And in this chapter, they are both set free because they tried to be nice. They tried to do it legally. They tried to convince everybody Buckbeak shouldn't be dead and he's still sentenced to death. And they try to convince everyone of Sirius's innocence and it doesn't work. So they provided justice where there was tremendous injustice. I can't think of anything more moral than using the time turner. And Dumbledore did give them permission to do so. In fact, he... <laughs> yeah. he, he it is Dumbledore's fault. Yeah. Does that make you feel better if you just blame Dumbledore? Yeah. You mean God? <laughs> so here's the thing, though. I feel like in the grand scheme of the universe, the circumstances in this particular time loop were pretty small on the cosmic scale, right? This was very much told in a self-contained way. I feel like that combined with this description we just read really substantiates what we've been talking about for, I think, 100 episodes now, which is that 
there is only one timeline <laughs> in the wizarding world. You don't have branching timelines. So the fact that you have people who are just unborn, who never exist, and it doesn't just create a new timeline where they don't exist, it's just in the singular timeline, they are no more. That's really messy, as we've talked about in in prior episodes, because the logic becomes really difficult to keep up with if you are to use this as a plot device moving forward, which is why I think the author chose not to until, you know, she and some playwrights decided to use it again. (laughs) Right. (laughs) And what's interesting there is I do think there's a distinction between the time turner that Hermione uses and the time turners that are used in Cursed Child because they allow for much more time travel to happen. But weren't we wondering back in 2016, like, wait, I thought time turners only go back a few hours. Yeah. It's not canon well, for them to I'm go I'm pretty back sure that Albus Severus and Scorpius suffer, like, some trauma. Don't they, like, collapse after traveling back, like, 20 years both times or after coming back to the future? Yeah. I mean, let's not forget, they go all the way back to the night that Voldemort oh, killed the right. Potters. Yeah. Well, that's you know, it would sell pretty tickets. far back. It would sell tickets. That's yeah, why. Yeah, I mean, it's great on stage. Well, yeah, exactly. I mean, so you got it, but you do have to wonder whose idea was that? Was that actually Rowling's, or I feel I can't remember the behind the scenes info at this point. But didn't the producers, the writers, come to her first with the pitch? And I think that's right. You know, I can't see J.K. Rowling, you know, being like, you know what? It's time to bring time turners back. It's you know, it's been a while. Let's do it. Yeah. It was probably their idea. She was probably like, no, defense. and they were probably like, but people love time turners. It's like, all right, um, that's how I imagine that conversation having gone. Uh. Yeah, I don't know. With the time turner whole situation, even the despite its flaws, I'm so glad it exists because this chapter is like one of my favorite chapters of the entire series. Like it's a wild ride. Harry is like, this is the craziest thing we've done. And then you see it. And the thing that I find most important about this chapter is there are still rules, right? So you can't interact with yourself. Uh, you can't. And partly because it's been abused before, there are these rules that Hermione is just casually kind of doling out as the chapter goes on. Harry wants to take the cloak from Snape uh, so that Snape can't use it to sneak down into the Shrieking Shack. And Hermione's like, no, you can't can't do that. And so it hurts because at the end of the day, even though they are able to save uh, Buckbeak and Sirius, they aren't able to, to right all of the wrongs, right? Pettigrew still gets away. Snape still gets his moment of glory. And it becomes very precarious. So... I think uh, this question about the time turners being moral or not, uh, I think it's even more moral or made more moral by the fact that it's not a solve all. There are still consequences. There are still areas in which two people using this will fall short in getting everything they ever wanted. There are unexpected consequences. And so I would argue that the the time turners like value neutral almost. But why not use that opportunity to stop Pettigrew? Why is freeing Sirius the moment that they're allowed to actually alter. Why is that okay? That's a good question. But not intervening in what happens when Pettigrew inevitably escapes. Because Voldemort needs to come back and because Harry needs to pay off. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Harry I mean, it's probably off as simple as that. Debt. Well, no, I mean, it's <laughs> certainly from... Yeah, yeah, not even from a, a plot standpoint, but like the overall, the stars indicated that Voldemort would come back. 
So let's blame it on the centaur's, you know, way of divining uh, the future. Yeah. I mean, I think there are a million different questions that can come out of this particular type of discussion. And maybe we do another episode focused on time turning specifically. But I did want to ask why entrust a 13 year old with something as I'm going to say dangerous as a time turner. We see that Hermione gets exhausted, right? At one point uh, in this book, I'm sure it happens a lot throughout the course of her third year with all the classes that she's taking. But what if she accidentally fell asleep when she went back in time? Then she would be probably just as well off as Eloise Mintumble or you know anybody else who screws with time. So giving it to any child at Hogwarts is a bad decision. I'll just say that up front. But if you're going to give it to any <laughs> child at Hogwarts, it might as well be Hermione. She's yeah, trustworthy. She's well-read. She mm-hmm. knows what she's doing. She can navigate difficult situations as Dumbledore and McGonagall have already seen in these uh, uh, in her time at Hogwarts so far. Maybe they've got other reasons. Maybe there's another Time Turner story about a, a student at Hogwarts. Do we know for sure she's the first student to have one at Hogwarts, come to think of it? I mean, maybe there have been experiences before where another student has had a Time Turner. There must have been other Hermiones at Hogwarts prior to Hermione. And by that, I mean students who just want to educate themselves in as many courses as possible. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. I mean, we know it was hard to get right McGonagall had to write a whole bunch of letters to the ministry to get this for Hermione um and presumably that all got started in Chamber of Secrets when Hermione signed up for everything we do get that in Chamber of Secrets when she notes that she had signed up for all of the classes so presumably this was something that took some doing on McGonagall's part and she probably had to kind of lead a mm. months long persuasion campaign to make it happen yeah um i I did want to ask that question is what do we think mcgonagall had to did she have to lay her career on the line here i mean this is one of those things where like it immediately falls apart under scrutiny um because you know 13 and for all the points we're making maybe she just thinks it's really important that hermione gets her runes education but it can't be that right (laughs) runes are really important no, 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 but I just, uh, okay, runes, fine. But, like, uh, does she really need every class that she can possibly take with the assistance of a time-turner? No. Maybe this She's was got a seven trial years at Hogwarts. run. Maybe this was a trial run, although, like, you know, like, Hermione would have been the first, and then if it worked, uh, you know, more students could have been able to oh. learn more. <laughs> could you imagine? Oh, God. Yeah, like, multiple <laughs> versions of every kid more in the time Great turners. Hall. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, but no, well. Hallow Wolf in the Discord has a good point, uh, which is, you know, going back to Hermione's full class schedule that she was, like, exhausted from. Hallow Wolf says, Percy had more OWLs than Hermione, so it seems like he wouldn't be able to do that without a time turner. So, yeah, it's like, again, it goes back to s- scheduling. This raises the question, though, are there other means by which Hermione could have taken these classes? Could she have spent the evenings or the weekends in private tutorial sessions with professors? Or I'm sure there's other options that could have been put on the table where- Summer school, 
they don't need to risk giving her a time turner in order for her to meet her class obligations. It seems like a huge risk on the part of Dumbledore and McGonagall. I agree. Because what if it ended up in the wrong hands? Yeah, I mean, you could easily see Draco being like, what's that necklace, Granger? You know, and kind of like messing with it. <laughs> yeah. Nice necklace, Granger. Right, because there's no, there's no magic preventing the time turner from being used by someone else. Harry gets to use it in this chapter. So if in one of her stupors where she's passed out somewhere, <laughs> somebody had come <laughs> up to her and taken the time stupor. turner. <laughs> yeah. I mean, t- they take the time turner, she wakes up and she suddenly has no way to move around in time. She's stuck. And then somebody else is off playing with the time turner. It makes me wonder if this time turner was like baby's first time turner. You know what I mean? Like a Fisher price ified <laughs> time turner, not yeah. as intense as the real thing. Not like noble collection time turner. Oh, yeah. Well, <laughs> well, based on the write up, uh, time turners really only are our reversal charms encased in an hourglass sort of thing. So, an hour Unless reversal you're in charm. child. Right. So, but so uh, presumably you could get a wand and you could perform an hour reversal charm and go back in time using just your wand, um, but only an hour. And those are apparently really unstable spells, which is why they encase they them encase in the time them. turner. So it's yeah. probably even more dangerous to do so it that way. Right. So it's not that Hermione's is like Fisher Price or like less than that. There's more powerful ones out there. It's just a very imprecise and dangerous magic period. I think that's fair to say. Now, Dumbledore is playing a bit of God in this situation as he does through most of the Harry Potter series. Let's be real. But The reason why I say that is he is essentially rewriting history in this moment. And I want to know what gives him the authority to do that and how fair is it that he's entrusting the success of this mission to two 13-year-old kids? Why not go back in time with them? Oh, that would be fun. (laughs) That would be fun. Ooh, let's do this thing. This will be fun. I kind of wonder if in this scenario Dumbledore kind of is God because he already right he is (laughs) he already knows what happened right because he was down at Hagrid's hut during the execution which we now know never happened so is he just setting the wheels in motion for what he knows is already going to happen. Right, maybe he's not... Won't be the last time he uses that strategy. Maybe he's not playing God at all. Maybe he was genuinely surprised to see Buckbeak escape, and then he realized some trickery was afoot. So he's just following the script he's been given. What came first, the chicken or the egg? (laughs) Hard to say. All of this stems from the fact that Dumbledore thinks that the Ministry is not going to believe the word of two 13-year-olds And Lupin also gets thrown into the conversation as well, but Dumbledore mentions that he's off running around the forest doing werewolf things, and that generally the werewolf community is not looked favorably favorably upon by the wizarding community as a whole, not just the ministry. 
So what what do we make of this? Especially as I don't know, we start to think maybe a little bit about Order of the Phoenix and some of the other members of the wizarding community that are mistreated. It, you know, fair to say the ministry is a bit short-sighted here, much like it didn't do the investigation of Sirius back yeah, whatever, whenever that was, they're not investigating it appropriately here either. It's kind of one of those like systemic just issues that you're never going to like 100% solve because people are like so flawed. Mm. Fudge needs to go. Fudge is fudging. Fudge needs to go. Yeah, yeah I, I do like to think the world was more just with Kingsley as minister <laughs> and later Hermione. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess if I were to try and defend the ministry, I would say time is of the essence here. They got to make a move. Yeah, let's um, commit an execution in a children's school. <laughs> Absolutely. There's no time. There's no time. We got to throw the axe down now. Well, you do it's it in the next book. <laughs> we actually have nothing but time because there's a freaking time turner. There you go. <laughs> here. But yeah, you're right, Micah. In the next book, they do exactly what they intended to do in this book. And I understand time was of the essence there as well, but... Do you need to commit something worse than murder on school grounds? Yeah, what happened to due process? Right. (laughs) Well, one other what if I wanted to get in before we kind of wrap up the discussion is what if it all went wrong? (laughs) And maybe we've touched on this a little bit so far, but who gets blamed and and what are the ramifications for misuse of a time turner? We know Hermione's been given permission to use it for classes, but clearly in this situation, she's using it to free a mass murderer or presumed mass murderer. Yeah. I would just say to defend Hermione and her getting the time turner uh, further we do see Hermione multiple times strongly tell Harry we cannot be seen. And there's the example that happens basically as she's telling Harry this, uh, where Harry wants to grab the invisibility cloak so Snape won't grab it, grab it. But then Hermione stops him and it pays off. It was a good choice by Hermione because Hagrid walks in view of the cloak a, a moment later. So there I I see your points. I take your points. It's a fun scenario to play out. But I also think it's important just to remember Rowling did try (laughs) to make the argument for why Hermione uh, could have it and why uh, we wouldn't even have to worry that it was it could all go wrong. If it all went wrong, though, I don't know. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I hope that there's like some time guardian or something that's able to like go back and set the timeline right um, that nobody can really die. Um, but it's more exciting to hear Hermione be like, you know, witches and wizards. Wow. That that reminds me of another Zelda game. What was that? Was it Skyward Sword with the Time Guardians? Oh, is there? Well, that's like a common kind of thing in colors. Like somebody that, oh yeah, somebody like Dumbledore who's like all seeing or can see into other timelines is like preserving the timeline. Oh, Loki. It's in Loki. Oh Yeah. yeah. Season two coming soon. Except Loki has branching timelines, which are a lot more fun and easier, (laughs) I think, to world build off of. Yay. It's one of the things that frustrates me about 
time travel in these books. Although I will say, viewing this chapter as self-contained is very fun. It's a super fun chapter to read. Even though you start kind of pulling the threads a little bit, it all comes apart pretty fast. This is a house of cards, but it's disguised like a Harley Davidson motorbike. <laughs> yeah. I think it's fair to say that time travel is is messy, right? It There's nothing clean about it because so much can go wrong. We haven't even talked about how when Hermione turns the time turner, she shows up in the middle of the great hall or the entrance hall. Like, yeah, wh- what that's, is that? That's something that I wanted to talk about too is, you know, in the movie, at least they get it right. They yeah. go back in time to the infirmary, but yeah, why why did they go there? That's inherently dangerous for her to just be appearing in the middle of an entrance hall. Like, cause considering how many times- Is that times, always where she goes, I wonder? Right, because considering how many times she's done that this year, like, it's absurd. There would definitely have been a student or somebody that would see her and that, imagine having to explain that. Maybe McGonagall's been going around behind corners and, like, confunding students that uh, have seen Hermione all, the, all these years just apparate, just appear here. It would have been a lot less work to just- give Hermione independent study for yeah, a few of these classes. anyway. <laughs> mm. But for the plot. For the plot. This might be a bit of a, a hot take question. <laughs> I've been waiting for this for days. <laughs> and and the reason why I ask it, maybe it's not, Andrew, why you, th- you think I'm asking it, but oh. I will ask it. Could J.K. Rowling not come up with a more creative way for Sirius to have escaped? And the reason why I I framed it this way was because she's opening up a huge door, and we'll get to her comments about time turners, but presumably then anything in the future could be solved with the use of a time turner. And that's why I said a more creative way for Sirius to escape. Okay, I take your point. It was creative for the series at the time because it was new. You're talking about like, <laughs> basically, because of how many plot holes it potentially creates, uh, would there have been like... Uh, it's more trouble than it's worth. Yeah, yeah. the solution is just every mm-hmm. time, oh, get a time turner. Well, that's kind of why they all get destroyed. Um you know, it's great. Although I still allegedly we still don't have we still don't have the answer of how and Fred and George Weasley predicted the end of the match uh, of the Quidditch World Cup, you know, that they won the. Yeah, that we st- mm-hmm. I thought that was a time turner kind of a thing. But um, but yeah, it's definitely a plot hole, but I can't imagine anything being more creative, though, Micah, to your question. I think it's the coolest thing ever. Yeah, I mean, it's on the cover, too. We have to call out. It's worth mentioning since Mike is uh, throwing shade at it. The U.S. cover. Kind of like I said before, I really regard this chapter as being somewhat a self-contained story. Obviously, it's not. It has implications for the rest of the series. But the way that I choose to take it in is to just enjoy the series of events as they're laid out based on the breadcrumbs that we've been left all year. It's definitely problematic from a plot perspective. There's no getting around it. It is still a great chapter, though. And I do have a hard time thinking of something more creative. I'm sure we could. Again, that's a whole other episode. So if you've started like 
taking a shot every time we say that, you're welcome. (laughs) (laughs) And we need to update our brainstorming doc with these ideas. Yeah. (laughs) Well, maybe the question should have been, could JKR have come up with a less plot holy way for serious to escape probably well let's just but let's just say this though let's let's look at that iconic moment from the cover right buckbeak escape or well it's not on the cover Harry really many well i guess it's sort of, i need to look at the, the british cover, cover actually um, but it. yeah okay oh yeah yeah so th- just think of the cinematic moment of Sirius flying on buckbeak to escape you needed the time turner to get to that because they had to free Buckbeak as well. So I guess, sure, maybe without time turners, they could have broken Buckbeak free themselves or something and, and still had that cinematic ending. But I think the time turner assisted with leading us to that cinematic climactic ending in which Sirius flies free, if you will, after being well, a prisoner. And so does Buckbeak, it's- right? It's the two of them together. Right. Well, yeah. yeah. Well, it's right. really the ups and downs that this whole book have been doing. You get completely turned around thinking Sirius Black is the bad guy. Then he's the good guy. Then you think Harry's going to live with him. Then you think, oh, my God, like Pettigrew is escaping. All is lost. And even though it's not the happiest ending for this book, this chapter really shows you that it it is going to be a happy ending book. It is going to be a slightly less happy ending. But the guy that you wanted to go free does get to go free. And that feels right. That feels like justice. But anything less than sort of the time turner confusion going back, being kind of constantly caught off guard would be ultimately, I think, less satisfying than what was in the book. All right. You convinced me. All right. Cool. I went to no, but I- I, no, and and I really didn't think about it in the way of of just the symbolism, right? Of the two unjustly accused yeah. escaping with each other at the end of the book. Freedom, and plus they have each other now. Sirius isn't other. alone. But just to wrap things up, we've been talking about this a little bit. In that, you know, was it going to be a possibility that J.K. Rowling was planning to use time turners later on? in the series, but just ended up thinking better of it. And she did say that she went far too lightheartedly into the subject of time travel in Prisoner of Azkaban. While I do not regret it, Prisoner of Azkaban is one of my favorite books in the series, it opened up a vast number of problems for me because after all, if wizards could go back and undo problems, where were my future plots? I solved the problem to my own satisfaction in stages. Firstly, I had Dumbledore and Hermione emphasize how dangerous it would be to be seen in the past to remind the reader that there might be unforeseen and dangerous consequences as well as solutions in time travel. Secondly, I had Hermione give back the only time turner ever to enter Hogwarts. So that answers your questions from earlier, Andrew, if there was anybody who used it previously. And thirdly, I smashed all remaining time turners during the battle in the Department of Mysteries, removing the possibility of reliving even short periods in the future. I guess she didn't know about Cursed Child at that time. Uh, This is just one example of the ways in which, when writing fantasy novels, one must be careful what one invents. For every benefit, there is usually a drawback. Well, it's very convenient to say the only time turner, by the way, ever to enter Hogwarts. Was that ever in the books? Because otherwise, uh, you have to be cautious <laughs> with taking that at face value. She could have conveniently yeah. made that canon when writing this. 
just to cover her bases further. Oh, that's funny. She the work continues to right exactly. Yeah, yeah. She's continuing to cover over the plot well, holes. Listen, even in 1999 <laughs> or whatever, she didn't believe that people would be reading this so closely 25 years later. You know, like yeah, that's that's yeah. a valid point. Fair Can you point. imagine our own work being torn to pieces like like Harry Potter <laughs> or any other popular book is? True. I can. It's getting close to that, but yeah, you're right. It shouldn't be. It's it's like it's like we get emails from people, and of course we love the emails, but people point out when we make mistakes. I mean, that's basically yeah. what what happens when you're the author as well. We never make on a mistakes. much much larger scale. Yeah, we criticize because we love. <laughs> I feel like we've gotten better for sure, but I feel like we used to get a lot more emails about it. Look, <laughs> we're human. We make mistakes. It happens. Yes. Yep. You're right. We're not perfect. Nobody's perfect. In the words of Miley Cyrus, Hannah Montana, sorry. Anything else on this chapter before we go to odds and ends? I know we didn't go through the plot kind of step by step, but anything we might have we already did <laughs> the, the backing up into okay never mind uh, <laughs> that's funny it's just um it's really nice that harry has the touching moment with uh sort of the stag patronus and coming to the realization that it was him that sent the patronus and you know it's funny that the reason he can do it is cuz he did it before but but really that's the coming of age part that everyone talks about that then became you know, in the movie adaptation, Harry fiddling with himself under the sheets when the movie opens. Like the reason this is a coming of age book is because of that moment with him and his dad, that wholesome moment where he realizes his father is gone, even though he's been reintroduced to all of these friends that, you know, ran around that it's not, a, it's not, again, it's not that perfect happy ending. It's a less than perfect happy ending. And the version of James that Harry's, you know, has is the Patronus part that lives inside him. So that really is just the crucial, I think, moment where Harry comes of age and realizes that Mm. although he can be surprised by the past, you know, there's the future is um, equally, I guess, hopeful as it is the opposite. And I think it was nice to see the, the final Marauder included in the story as well. We've spent so much time with Remus throughout yeah. this book. Then we get Sirius, then we get Pettigrew, but we don't really get James. And there's kind of that hope. And and I think there were fan theories for a long time that perhaps if you know all these marauders are alive, especially Pettigrew, perhaps James is alive as well in some way, shape, or form. And the other really kind of touching moment of this chapter is the fact that Harry is willing to kind of confide that into Hermione when they're yeah. having that conversation the, that he's kind of letting his guard down a bit and saying, yeah, I actually thought it was my dad. Mm-hmm. And I think you only do that with somebody who you consider to be a real true friend. Yeah. Time for some odds and ends. First one, when Harry looks over at Hermione in the hospital wing, it's noted that she looked petrified which I thought was a nice Chamber of Secrets throwback because she was petrified in the same spot just one book earlier. I like that Harry looks over and she's just like, shh, (laughs) (laughs) we're both listening in. This is crazy. Uh, It's noted that Sirius is in the 13th window from the right of the West Tower, seventh floor. 
So if you are the first to escape out of the 13th window, you are the first to die. That's the other (laughs) not as well known um, (laughs) Trelawney-ism. I love that. That's great. And uh, best of all, Drunk Hagrid is back. Yeah, that should be the episode title. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and one of my favorite lines, definitely in this chapter, I think they brought it over to the uh, movie movie. as well. Yeah, okay. I love how Dumbledore quickly gives up on trying to find Buckbeak and instead asks Hagrid for a tea or brandy. I just think that's so (laughs) great. And how he's just in don't give a bleep mode. He's just like, well, that was that. That was fun. I do love it. What can you do? And I loved Michael Gambon's portrayal. I did too. In these moments, I felt like he really captured Dumbledore at this point in the series. Yes. And also in this movie, uh, when he says, you know, three or four turns should do it. Good luck. And then he goes behind the doors. I thought that was a great moment by Michael Gambon as well. Yeah. And when they come back, they're like, we did it. And he's like, did what? And he just walks yeah. on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was great. <laughs> In all this time turner talk, it, it's got me thinking about a date I went on about 11 years ago now. I may have told this on the show or maybe on Millennial at one point. But so I was going on this date with this guy in Los Angeles and uh, he knew I was uh, doing the, I have my Harry Potter background and he shows up to the date wearing a time turner because of my Harry Potter. Wasn't that just sweet? Just a time turner? That's just a time turner? <laughs> you guys, stop it. <laughs> yeah, like the little noble collection necklace and that was it. No, Micah, I've only seen you wearing nothing but a time turner. So anyway, uh, we go on the, di- I'm very touched by this, by this little touch is his little accessory and, um, but then i it didn't work out because i started learning a little more about him let's just say i was a little concerned for my safety if things didn't work out so. yikes all right <laughs> i'm just letting you know for reference you did say that you were touched by his little accessory trust me that went through my head when i said that too okay uh, i'm talking about the time turner i wasn't gonna say anything i really need the music this week to to bail out of certain scenarios. Are you sure you want to do weeknight recordings? <laughs> Not anymore. I think this is fun. This it is fun. It's going to be unhinged. All right, it's time for MVP of the week. Maybe I should call an audible and say I'm going to give it to Hermione's little accessory. <laughs> there you go. I'll let you, we'll let you do that. Okay, I'm giving it to Hermione's time turner. I love that little accessory. I'm going to give it to Dumbledore for the way he handles Snape. He's playing with some serious fire here, and it works. I like that play on words. I do like it. Speaking of, I'm going to give mine to Sirius. Let's think about the events of this chapter from his point of view, particularly at the end. They're all unconscious. They get brought up to Hogwarts on stretchers, presumably... He wakes up in this classroom up on the seventh floor, doesn't know why he's been brought there, doesn't know where everyone else is. And all of a sudden, he sees his godson and one of his best friends on a hippogriff outside the window. And he doesn't he doesn't pause. He's like, all right. (laughs) So I'm going to give it to him for recognizing this might be a little shifty, but I know what's waiting for me on the other side of that Time door, to get out so. of Dodge. I'm going to jump <laughs> out the window. Good point. I got to give it to Buck Beak. He was very well behaved in this chapter. And if he ran off, 
the whole plan would have been just completely screwed. Right. There right. are moments where, like, he wants to run up to Hagrid, and he saves the day at the end. I mean, to Laura, your point, Sirius can get away now. They can become really good friends somewhere off in the... Where do they go? The mountains, the forest? They're, they're around. Yeah, they're in a cave for a while, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah, that sounds right. All right. Well, next week will be the final chapter in our Prisoner of Azkaban chapter by chapter series. Chapter 22, Al Post again. Did you three know that it's only been a year since we started chapter by chapter? What? I saw it come up in my iPhone memories this week. Our first, and I'm talking book one. We started book one, September 13th, 2022. It feels like so much longer. It really does. <laughs> wow. We moved too fast with that first book. That's my takeaway. I don't know. I don't yeah. <laughs> moving back to one chapter a week was the move. And of course, book four is very large. So it might take us a year to get through it, especially if we're doing other episodes. I'm really excited for book four. Well, speaking of book four. We have some exciting news, I think, for everybody. Before we start Goblet of Fire chapter by chapter, we will be doing, drumroll please, for the first time ever, a Goblet of Fire movie commentary. Woo! Woo! I'm so excited for this. I haven't seen this movie in a long time. Me neither. I've been growing my hair in, in anticipation for watching this movie with all the long-haired oh, kids yeah. in that motion picture. It's time to announce that that's why my hair has been growing long as well. Uh, it's all making sense now. So yeah, we we actually did do a Prisoner of Azkaban movie commentary, but it was, and we thought about doing it again, but it was just back in May 2021 that we did that. It's only about two years ago. So it's all current. Same people, same op opinions. <laughs> it has not changed at all. Exactly, exactly. So after we do Goblet of Fire, we will have still Chamber of Secrets to do in Order of the Phoenix and Deathly Hallows Part 1. So we still have some to work through, and we will get there, because just like we're enjoying doing like this complete chapter-by-chapter -chapter series, we'll, we would love to do all of the movie commentaries. We have to. Absolutely. How have the MuggleCasters not done every movie at this point? We're completionists multiple times over. This yeah. movie quite possibly has the worst scene in all of the Harry Potter films. Did you put your oh. name in the Goblet of Fire? Did you ask <laughs> yeah, another student to do it for you? Everybody just automatically knows what you're talking about when you say that. It it rivals the, he was their friend. Um, or I know it's do worse because it's coming well, from but... an adult. Yeah, no, you gotta shout that. Well, I think in light of that being such a huge meme and a huge part of the Harry Potter fandom, maybe we should all have a shot ready for that scene and we take the shot oh, yeah. when, okay. I'm down. Oh, I didn't have to convince them. They were, I couldn't even get through that sentence. No. Are you kidding me? Shot? Yes. I'm always ready. <laughs> we, we need to take a shot from a goblet. Oh, now you're talking. I used to have a goblet from the Noble Collection. That's a waste of, because then you got to wash the goblet if you just put a little bit of something. I'm sure in Target it. has some we can get before we do our commentary. Oh, it's man. worth it for the pod. It is. But we thought it would be a great idea to refresh ourselves on this movie, because of course, when we're doing chapter by chapter, we talk about the movie from time to time. So this will be a great introduction. Yeah, I love that. I love the idea of watching the movie first as a primer, because we'll reference it. Obviously, the book is much more complicated. And, you know, not to spoil sort of the next week in a rim between books three and four, but book three, I've said it forever, is my favorite book in the series. Book four, when I first read it, I asked myself at the end of it, is this book 
my new favorite. Do I like it more than three? And my answer was yes. So there's a possibility <laughs> that book four, as we go through it, might usurp book three for me uh, because I'm trying to stay true to the original 14 year old that read this. Oh, well, I hope it lives that's up a, to that's sort of a personal life update. I don't, I don't know. I don't know if that was actually any interesting at all. <laughs> no, it was. But we can we can definitely talk about that more, too, at the beginning of chapter by chapter, like all of the first time we read it. I definitely have fond memories getting Goblet of Fire Same. because that was the first midnight release I attended. Oh, yeah, that'll be a all things. If you have any feedback about today's episode or the chapters ahead, you can send an owl to mugglecast at gmail.com or you can use the contact form on mugglecast.com. You can also send a voice message. Just record it using the voice memo app on your phone and then email us that file. Or you can use our phone number, which is 19203Muggle. That's 19203684453. And now it's time for Quizage. Last week's Quizage question. How old was Sirius Black when he played the trick on Snape with Lupin? The correct answer was 16. Correct answers were submitted by 10-year-old Lara, the master of the universe, Accio 12 Bagels, Beaky for Life, Chocolate Chip Dumbledore, Defend Dumbledore, Doc Hopper, Elizabeth K, Fantastic Beast is amazing but isn't happening. For 10 minutes, Snape has a rare magical object in his grubby mitts and doesn't quite seem to realize it. Something smart and witty that I cannot think of. Sour Grape Snape. Luke, the 11-year-old. Uh, let's see. Allie, the 25-year-old. Love people are giving us their names. Lost Sugar Quill of Brew. Towels, enough effing towels. Wolfstar Dadfoot and Moomy. Moomy. And Wolfstar Bucks for the win. And many more. Including, somebody sent the very first Quizich answer song lyric filk uh they sent an entire song as their quiz answer, and uh, maybe I'll read it after the episode ends um, or sing it. But shout out to Hippogriff Rider 2000. Next week's Quizage question. At the end of term, who arrives to see Lupin after Harry does? Submit your answer to us on the MuggleCast website, MuggleCast.com slash Quizich, or click on Quizage from the main nav if you're already on our website. We know how many of you have it bookmarked. If you're an Apple Podcast user for just $2.99 a month, you can receive ad-free and early access to MuggleCast right within the Apple Podcast app. Patreon does offer more benefits, but if you'd prefer to support us right within the Apple Podcast app, we know it's nice and easy because you already have your credit card there. The offer is there, and you can just tap into the show and you'll see the subscribe button. Plus, a free trial is available and annual subscription is available as well. We also have a free trial and annual subscription on our Patreon, and you get a lot more benefits there. Don't forget, now is the time to pledge to gain access to the MuggleCast Collectors Club. You will um, also need to fill out a form uh, to let us know you want to receive the stickers and the backing card. And speaking of Patreon, those of you who use Spotify, you can now tap into the show and you can easily access our Patreon. And then you can actually get our bonus audio content. We do two bonus MuggleCast installments a month. We also post ad-free MuggleCast and early access to MuggleCast within Patreon. You can get all those audio benefits right within Spotify now. Nice and easy. We're very excited that they added that. And don't forget to follow us on social media. We are MuggleCast on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, TikTok, and Threads. Thanks, everybody, for listening. I'm Andrew. I'm Eric. I'm Micah. And I'm Laura. Bye, everyone. Bye. Bye.